All right, here we go. Welcome to Backseat Directing. Where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts. Andrew. And Aaron. And today we are talking about the movie Morbius. It's Morbin time. Three, two, one, action. All right, all right. So we actually just watched Morbius yesterday because it came on Netflix. It was my first time watching it. Have you seen it before? No, I have not. It actually, I believe, came out in January. Or yeah, so it's, it's been, been a little while. It's been out for it actually a released twice. Yeah. <laughs> so we have waited a long time to see this movie, and it is mostly just because of the really poor reception because normally i'll watch anything marvel even in the sony verse right away yeah or see it in, you know see, obviously see it in theaters but this movie had very mixed reviews and i kind of lost interest in seeing it after i saw venom 2 which i'll talk about more later i was trying to get you to go to the theaters with us zach was on board we planned ahead of time to see this movie together but i i just kind of totally you, fell out of it you kept saying like, yeah i don't i don't think i want to spend money on this movie i don't want to i felt like i wasted my money on venom too so <laughs> yeah uh, well here we are so we didn't spend any money on it finally it's Waited on netflix, netflix now came out came it's in the top 10 it was in the 10 spot last time i checked so it's doing pretty well on netflix uh, this movie. Do, do you think that's like actually the ratings on how well those are doing, or do you think Netflix just kind of punts the movies that are new or that they want released or more viewership on? They put it in their their top ten. I will put my Netflix conspiracy theory hat on to say it is suspicious how often Netflix originals are in the top ten, yeah. even if it seems like nobody's talking about them anywhere else. Right. But yeah. so, anyways, back to the the main topic of yeah. today's episode. More be- now we're going to shift gears into Netflix conspiracy theories. <laughs> now, the, the, the movie we watched is called Morbius. It is in the Marvel Sony universe. The director is Daniel Espinosa, mm-hmm. uh, starring Jared Leto as Michael Morbius, the main character. Of, and Michael Morbius is also called Morbius, uh, the, the living vampire. Now, Matt Smith uh, plays Milo or Lucian. And he is the antagonist or villain of this story. And then Adria Arjona, who I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, plays Dr. Martine Bancroft, the love interest and primary female lead of the story in this movie. The movie is rated PG-13 and it had a budget of, uh, seems to be estimated around a million dollars with a box office return of 160 million, which at first glance might seem like a profit, but I'm sure once you factor in the marketing budget they had for the movie, it's almost a loss, if not a loss. It, it, yeah, it seems did not do well low. in theaters. I was yeah. surprised to see what their budget was, though, too. Like, their budget was pretty low, too. Yeah, pretty lean budget compared to a lot of other Marvel movies. Especially a lot of the superhero movies that have been coming out as of recently. You know, they've been in the budgets of more of, like, 100, 100 million plus. Yeah, and later on, we're going to be comparing this movie with Venom. Um, it seems like Venom Let There Be Carnage had a budget of $110 million, which isn't that far off. Uh, pretty, It's pretty similar. So it seems like this is what the Sony movies Both Venoms had that budget, by the way, $110 yeah. million. So not anything comparative to, like, say, the new Doctor Strange or the new Thor in these Sony movie budgets. Right. 
the, the last thing I want to discuss here for the movie facts is that its IMD rating is only a 5.2 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And on Rotten Tomatoes, this has one of the biggest disparities in score between audience and critics. Critics rated this movie a skimpy 15%, while audiences rated it as a 71%, which yeah, is pretty fair. The audience pretty liked it a lot more. Decent. Yeah. Which, hey, how often are the critics like Dead accurate man. of the movie? Yeah, they gotta, Not very often. They got to get those eye-catching taglines. Right. I was reading through some of the comments, and it seems like what a lot of people weren't really liking about the the movie was like kind of the plot and maybe like the flat writing style, and and also that maybe some of the some people wanted it to be rated R. You know, they maybe wanted to see him kind of more blood and stuff and gore in, into the movie. I can get behind but, that. I mean, he's a vampire. I mean, the Blade movies are great because of the like the violence and the blood. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's a vampire. So in this movie, when you, you basically see him cut a guy's throat and then you come back later and he's on the floor and there's like three drops of blood on the floor. It's like, Oh my goodness. He gave him a paper cut and he died. Like <laughs> yeah. there's three drops of blood on the floor, which yeah, it would have been cool to well, see this. There was movie only go three before. drops because he drank the rest. <laughs> I, hey, you know, he exsanguinated him as, <laughs> the, as they like to say in the movie. Yeah. But, that, but let's let's kind of go over the, the basic premise of the show. So Michael Morbius is a biochemist. He tries to cure himself of this rare blood disease that he has, but he ends up infecting himself and becomes a vampire instead. And he starts to crave blood. Uh, and whenever he's starting to get, quote unquote, hungry for this blood, the Morbius... Uh, alternative version of himself starts to peek through and it becomes harder and harder for him to control his urge. Now, what they did in the movie that I believe is not what it was in the comics was that in his attempt to cure himself and others and whatnot, he had fake blood, synthetic blood. And that's kind of what he used to kind of keep Morbius under control and tamed in the beginning. But the effects of that fake blood was kind of wearing off throughout the movie and he was more so creating human blood. Um, yeah, I was not introduced to Morbius through the comics. I unfortunately haven't read any Morbius comics yet, but I was introduced to him in the animated series uh, for Spider-Man, the old 90s animated series. Mm-hmm. He makes an appearance in that show as Morbius mm-hmm. the Living Vampire. And I did some research beforehand looking into his comic origins. And like you said, I can't see anything about this fake blood, which I thought was a really interesting concept for the movie. It was really cool because in he, he had this discovery as an accident when he was trying to cure the, the disease. And the byproduct of this quote unquote mistake was that he created fake blood that saved millions of lives. And they even touch on it in a cool way in the story too, giving the uh, lead detective a backstory where he was in the military and the fake blood transplant, the artificial blood transplant saved his life. So I think that's a really interesting concept of him winning the Nobel Peace Prize for this huge accomplishment. But even with that and his genius, he still is falling short to himself of what his goal is to cure this disease, save himself, his friend, and the little girl that we see in the beginning. Yeah, before we go on, any more into like the details of the movie and stuff like what was your overall opinion of this movie so i was the whole 
like first half of the movie, I was shocked uh, because I went in expecting to hate it. Because I, I, I started yeah. watching this movie through the eyes of like, this is going to be a bad movie. I'm, yeah, the criti- I'm not going to yeah. like this. The critical response is so bad. And you hear so many people making fun of it that like it has this image in your head if you haven't seen it. Like it's going to be like so bad that it's funny. Like one of those movies that are just so bad that it's fun to watch. But it right. really, to me, the audience score of 71% rings pretty true. Like it's about as fun, entertaining, and on par with your average you know, superhero movie nowadays. Um, yeah. And I mean, I thought it wasn't anything atrocious. So I think my low expectations helped too. But what did you think? No, I agree with you. I I went into it thinking, man, I'm, I'm really not going to like or enjoy this movie at all. And every time I'm, I, I was watching it and kind of like through every turn of the story, I was like, all right, I'm, this is where it happens. You know, this is this is where the show starts to get bad. And it didn't really happen for me. I, I actually enjoyed the whole movie. Um, but it seemed like one of the complaints that I was reading about online and stuff was the synthetic blood and that like, why? And like you, I thought it was a cool aspect of the story. Yeah. It was an interesting concept. And I think part of what they used it for is kind of bridging the gap for Morbius as he turns into this more, um, kind of villainous character. Cause in the comics, he's originally a villain for Spider-Man and eventually a villain for Blade, which makes sense because Blade is a vampire hunter. Yeah. So he's a villain who throughout the years in the comics eventually turns into kind of an anti-hero, takes the same journey kind of as Venom. Um, and I think the blood, the fake blood is a way for them to kind of bridge that gap where he's trying to save himself. He hurts people on accident. He's drinking fake blood. He's not drinking human blood. No, he's not a monster. He's avoiding drinking human blood. And then slowly he has to start drinking human blood. So it kind of has the the arc of the character be more sympathetic rather than him just turning from a human straight into a monster and sucking blood out of people's necks. Yeah. I think that was the purpose is what I imagine. Yeah. I I like that aspect of the yeah. story. It, it made it believable to where it was like, all right, he needs this to make it through, but he really doesn't want to like kill people. You know, like he's not a bad guy. This wasn't his intent. You know, and he's trying to control this other person that's now within inside of him with this drive to go murder and suck people's blood. Yeah, I mean, when you when you make a movie like we talked about, you don't go out to make a bad movie. You go out to make it good. And when these filmmakers, producers, and actors are making these decisions, pretty much any given thing you see in a movie is for a reason. Whether it's as simple as to make you laugh. A lighting or sound to make you feel a certain way. They didn't just put fake blood in there on a whim. I'm sure they did it with express intentions. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the plot. And I think I think it also helps them keep the PG-13 rating as well, which typically reaches a wider audience. You know, having a PG-13 score rather than a rated R. You know, and it seems like they definitely wanted to go that route to try to reach more people. So when you go to make a movie. You don't go in, like we talked about before, to make a bad movie. You go in with the express intent to make a good movie. And when directors, producers, and actors include things in the movie, they do so with intention. I mean, anything you see in a movie, whether it's just something small to make you laugh, or it's lighting, or the way the music comes in, is meant to elicit a certain feeling. And they do this all very intentionally. And I think that that is the case with the fake blood. They included it for a reason. Yeah, and I think it also helped them keep that PG-13 rating. Yeah, it helps with that, and it helped 
along with the with the plot and development of the character. So I, I don't really see the critiques there. Um, this movie has a lot of flack, and, uh, and we'll go into some of the things that we like and don't like about it. But I want to touch on the comic origins of Morbius just really quickly. So the original appearance from what I can tell, and I owe this information to the Page Variant Comics for helping me out. Uh, like I said, I haven't read any of his comics yet, but he is an interesting character. So he started out, uh, like we discussed, as a villain to Spider-Man and eventually becomes a villain to Blade, which makes sense because Blade is the vampire hunter, Morbius is the living vampire. Uh, we originally see him as a villain. We see him develop like Venom into a more sympathetic, anti-hero kind of character. When he first appears, he has this bloodborne illness in the comic that he's trying to cure. And interestingly, just like in the movie, uh, he travels onto a ship into open water to ex explore these experiments on himself to try and cure his illness, which is where he first turns into the vampire and where he first uh, is overcome by his urges and violently attacks someone. In the comics, it's his friend Milo. Um, no, I'm sorry. In the comics, it's not his friend Milo. It's a character by a different name, but uh, he... He kills him unintentionally and then jumps into the water, just like how we see him kill all these mercenaries on the ship and then jump into the water in the movie. So an interesting link and uh, accurate tie to the source material there. Um, we do, uh, in the comics and in the animated series as well, have um, Morbius being originally born in, I believe, Eastern Europe. And so in the animated series where I was first introduced to him, he has an accent, which in the show, they decide not to go with the accent. He has, obviously, Jared Leto's regular voice with the American accent, which I think was a fine choice. If I had the choice between a great accent that plays well on screen and the American accent, I would choose a great accent because it's more true to the character's source. But if the choice is between a sloppy accent that's going to be cheesy on screen and the American accent, I'll take the American accent 10 out of 10 times right, for that choice. for sure. And so I think they kind of went the right route with that. I wasn't like missing an accent the whole time in the movie. I think that's kind of a nitpick. Yeah, I thought the scene on the ship looked pretty cool too. Like right when he kind of transformed into Mobius and then broke through the window and went off and killed those like three or four guys. Like I thought the animation looked pretty cool. It was kind of going really fast and then the camera would go in slow motion for a quick little spot. It kind of reminded me of some of the shots in The Amazing Spider-Man, how they would like record some of their stuff, you know, and and take advantage of like some of the slow motion shots and stuff. Yeah, connecting the Sony universe. I initially liked the the slow motion and the kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the dust or cloudiness around him that kind of shrouds him when he's going uh, in the vampire form. I initially liked it, but the more it played out in the movie, it kind of wore off on me and I was less interested in, in seeing that. I feel like it was possibly intentional to hide some of the CGI makes it easier to kind of shroud things so you don't have to show it in as much detail. Um, but I'd rather see a little bit more of the detail if they can fit that in there. So I, I kind of lost interest in Yeah, they started using that. it more and more. That first scene, like it wasn't blocking as much, but then kind of towards the middle and end of the movie, it the whole scene started becoming blurry rather than just like their trail. You yeah, know? from what I can tell... Um, in the movie making business, sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect between the special effects department that's over here and then the people who are on set. So sometimes directors and producers aren't communicating as much with the special effects and then maybe they run out of time or budget to do things a certain way and have to start, you know, 
using little tricks and things here and there. So maybe this is a case of that. I can't really speak to that without knowing for sure, but I've heard that very few directors make the time to go themselves in person to the special effects department and really communicate what they want. And not only that, but also just giving the VFX team time to work on these things like you were talking about it. I mean, time gets eaten up pretty quick when you're making a film. And we know that from all the little projects that we worked on, like, all right, we have three days to do this or whatever. And then boom, it's already the fourth day. And you're like, okay, we have to hurry up and maybe cut some corners here and there so we get the project done on time. Cause that's an important part of making a movie because time is money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the time is obviously huge and you've presumably set a release date, you know, at some point before the movie's fully finished. Um, so you got, we're all on a timeline. Yeah. There, there's the a lot of steps that go into making a big film like this that I think a lot of people overlook. Yeah. And and, you know, everyone on there is doing their best. And overall, I found the movie enjoyable. So, I mean, the plot talks it starts where we talked about in the comics. It starts with yeah. the Bloodborne illness and developing this early friendship between Lucien or Milo and Michael Morbius. And I like their relationship in the story. It's uh, Lucien or Milo <clears throat> looks up towards Michael and is almost kind of obsessed with him. In, in a way, it seems like. And mm -hmm. he says that he's looked up to him his whole life at one point in the story. And I just kind of like the dynamic between these two actors. I think they're they're both good actors. I'm not the biggest fan of Jared Leto, but I, I mean, I enjoyed him in this movie, which I, I don't find myself saying often. But um, the kind of back and forth between them, the dialogue when scenes are emotional or when they're just chit-chatting on the street, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the writing and the, the actors. I, I like when... Uh, Morbius says, I'm, I'm, if you keep talking about that, I'm going to turn around and hobble slowly in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed out loud at, you know, a couple points in this movie. So it has its strengths where it hits. Where, where do you think that, what do you think about the plot and where do you think the movie hit well for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with the plot. I mean, I don't fully understand a lot of the critiques that come along with the plot. I thought it was like an average story, you know, and like, Maybe average is bad nowadays. I don't know. But I went in expecting it not to be good, but I had fun watching it. Uh, I didn't see any, like, major plot holes where I was like, what? How did that just happen? You know, like, it felt fine to me. And I, I saw some things online about the pacing of the movie. Again, I was I was involved in the movie the whole time. I, I, I thought it was good. You know, like, it, it's not my favorite movie ever. It's It's nothing like super crazy but i think it did what it was supposed to it entertained me for however long it is yeah i mean the only thing i can think of with like the pacing is they probably could have cut out the very opening scene where they go to the cave because movies so often now will like jump time like you can just tell a linear story and they start out in the present go back to the past might i remind the audience the that andrew's favorite director is christopher <laughs> nolan who has he ever made a chronological he movie? He <laughs> plays with time in a groundbreaking way. It's not your basic... That is my favorite director, though, but that's a fair point. So um, I, I feel like the... I agree. Like, the, the pacing to me felt fine. Like, I was checking the time. I was like, I think maybe he turns into Morbius around, like, the 30-minute mark, which is, is good. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't want to watch a whole movie where he's I was, has I was, no powers. I was watching a review this morning, and they were like... Yeah, like his origin was predictable and like this. And 
they're yeah, all like they're all like the same you people know com- but- people complain when they change and they deviate from the source material and now you're going to complain when they're accurate to the source material yeah, exactly like it's like these directors and movies and studios can't do anything right you know and i think one of the problems might be is that it's so easy to watch this stuff now you know like mm-hmm. before when movies were first coming out and stuff like you saw it once and then you didn't see it again for years <laughs> you know so like yeah. Your, your first impressions was the only impressions you got. Now we can watch and pause and rewind, fast forward, and really nitpick all of these aspects of a movie. And like like we talked about earlier, like there's a lot that goes into making a movie. And there's some variables that you have to like get creative. You know, like maybe you don't have a certain amount of time to do this. So you have to find a little shortcut to solve the problem. You know, there's a lot of problem solving that goes into making a film like this. I thought it was good. Here's a few things that I liked about the thing, about the movie. So one of the things I enjoyed the most was the change from Michael to Morbius in those like subtle little aspects, you know, where he wasn't like fully transformed, but like Morbius would sneak out just a little bit, you know, and like his, his cheeks and his face and his teeth would transform slightly and then like go back to Jared Leto's face, you know, like I thought that was super cool. You mentioned like with his hand, you know, uh, I thought that was very smooth. Yeah, Jared Leto's done drastic physical changes for roles before, um, and he elected, and and they in general, the movie's creators elected to go with um, special effects for the facial changes and bodily changes instead of practical effects, which I think they lent more towards the CGI. But I honestly thought the CGI looked great. There's a part where they show they pan it on his hand as the claws are retracting. <clears throat> And I was like, well, that looked phenomenal. From everybody else's reaction to this movie, I thought it was going to look terrible. I don't love, as, as the movie goes on, I don't love the facial appearance of the vampires, especially Milo as the villain. Um, I think there are moments where it comes off a little bit kind of goofy. But yeah, I mean, that's, I think Milo more so than Morbius. Yeah. But I, I'd agree. But you're, you're over here taking my things I liked and turning them into a negative. So I'm going to go ahead and cut you off there and continue through the things that I liked, you negative son of a gun. Um, we, I, I really liked the first fight between Milo and Morbius. You know, when they meet on the street and then they kind of go down into the subway. I thought that was pretty cool. And like at that time, I didn't think that the, the Dutch trails were getting in the way too much. Um, you look like you have a different opinion, though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. <sighs> the, the part at the that fight scene, I think, is good. But at the end of it, when he's standing near the, the, the train. Yeah, I didn't and, talk about that and, part. And you can see, uh, you can see Matt Smith running at him in slow motion. That I think is the worst shot of the whole movie. I thought it looked so bad and, and so that scene in general, running. I didn't fully understand, and I actually have that on my things I didn't like because he's like sitting there and. He has his hand out, Morbius has his hand out, and he's, like, kind of feeling the wind or something. And, like, he, like we've been talking about, he has, like, this dust trail or something that's going away from him. It almost looked like he was evaporating. <laughs> like, I didn't really understand, like, what he was trying to do there. Like, did Thanos just snap? Right. And then he, like, goes and starts flying, right? So I, I didn't really understand what they are going to I was like, oh, okay, they'll, they'll, they'll explain it. <laughs> but they never really did. But I looked it up, and... Basically, one of his powers is that his bones turn hollow so he can, like, glide on the wind like a bat, right? 
Well, it didn't really make sense to me because the the subway was coming towards him and he was like feeling all this wind coming towards him too. Wouldn't that happen when the subway passes and all the wind would be behind him? Yeah, I don't know. And then he started flying or gliding in front of the train. Again, wouldn't all that wind be behind the train? I think that for me, it was their their way of perceptually showing what flight would feel like from the perspective because these echolocation things and these flight uh, special effects are from Michael's perspective. I think what they're showing is the way that you can he can feel and see and sense his ability to fly and the wind is kind of the him like but the if you, wind wouldn't be going in the direction that they were showing i don't think it's as much about the actual movement of the wind as it is about the current of the force that <clears throat> is kind of like an aura around him that allows him to fly because just the ability to hollow out your bones would just make you lighter it wouldn't make you fly so right. there's also this innate power that he has to generate the force of flight and I think that's kind of him seeing whatever that force is, maybe. Yeah. But it is kind. Of, it does feel kind of strange as the viewers, like, what is this wind? And I just didn't really fully understand what was happening and why they were cutting back from him feeling this wind, let's call yeah. it, and then, like you said, Matt Smith running in slow motion. I felt like that they held that really long yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Back they just kind of went back and forth, and I was like, "What's going on here?" Whatever they're trying to do, obviously, isn't getting across because you, as a viewer we're not feeling whatever yeah. they're trying to show you. But so. the beginning of this whole sequence, I thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that to the, go back to the positive, the dynamic of the plot there, I really enjoy. Cause I mean, we haven't said it thus far, but obviously spoilers for the plot, spoilers for everything Morbius. <laughs> it's too late for spoilers uh, now. Everyone sorry, knows. Sorry, yeah. sorry if you didn't realize that there were spoilers near this far in. <laughs> yeah. We lost all of our but, listeners, <laughs> but this movie's been out a long time. Yeah. But I felt like the the plot dynamic's really interesting because up until this point, we have two friends from childhood who consider themselves brothers. They're sick with this blood disease. Michael, in his attempt to cure it, turns himself into a vampire. He tells his friend that of what's happened, and Milo says, sign me up. I'd, I'd much rather have a vampire uh, addiction to blood than not be able to walk like this. And Michael's like, no, it's a curse. I wouldn't do that to you. You're my you're my closest friend. You're my brother. I wouldn't cast what I believe is a curse on you. Yeah, this is right after Morbius yeah. killed like five people yeah. in that ship. And this is an interesting that relationship dynamic because he wants to save his friend's life and his friend wants this, this quote-unquote cure. But he's saying no, this is, I turn myself into a monster. I don't want to turn you into a monster. And then his friend injects himself anyway. And so now they're fighting over the dangers of them being monsters. And and Milo's obviously more willing to kind of cast caution to the wind, whereas all Michael Morbius <clears throat> cares about is he wants to save lives. So he wishes he wasn't like this. Mm -hmm. he, as a doctor in, in his journey as a human, he just wants to save lives. And this is an unfortunate byproduct to him. To Milo, it's an exciting opportunity to be able to, control his own destiny and do whatever he pleases yeah all right you want to go into a few things that we didn't like um i have some specific things i want to talk about um i know you've been already saying some things sprinkling we've all been kind of we've both been sprinkling in it but some of the other things that i didn't really like was i honestly didn't really enjoy milo that much um and actually one of our fun facts or whatever that we have for this show is that Matt Smith didn't really know the direction of his character. He was saying in an interview or whatever that 
the script wasn't clear on kind of who he was. You know, uh, he was given the name Milo by Michael, and that's not his actual name. Yeah. You know? I um I feel like the I've heard a lot of praise from the actors on set for the director, Daniel Espinosa, um, specifically from uh, Adria Arjona, who plays Dr. Bancroft. And she was saying that he creates this really cool feeling that, even though they're in a big budget Marvel movie that it feels like they're um, like a small independent film because of his level of interaction. She liked that he could speak her native language, Spanish back and forth with her. She felt like they had their own secret language. I've heard great things about them, but I feel like that's kind of part of his job to connect with Matt Smith and tell him, this is your character's motivation. This is what I want to see out of you. So that's a little bit of a knock on him. I feel like when Matt Smith is saying that behind the scenes, Um, and I feel like it does translate to the screen because I, yeah, I feel like it definitely shows a little bit. I kind of see what maybe Matt Smith or the direction the movie was going for with this kind of playful villain where he's dancing a little bit. Even in the subway, he is a little dance. So he's kind of a playful villain, a little bit Joker-esque. He's just excited to be able to play and explore in this now extremely powerful body that he has. But it's kind of like lost in the in the whole thing of it all like it's it's not real it doesn't really come across super clearly who his he is you kind of get the right. feeling that he has this obsession with michael morbius which i almost interpreted as being uh like uh a, like a romantic feelings for him the way he stares at michael morbius when he is kissing dr bancroft on the roof and then kills dr bancroft or attempts to kill her after that so it's just i don't know if he knew if his character was supposed to be expressly villainous, morally gray villain, in love or obsessed with Michael Morbius. It just kind of feel Yeah, is he is he an alpha or a beta? You know, like <laughs> he just let Michael just rename him and he went with that name for the rest of the his life basically. Yeah, that's a huge thing there. And then he says he always looked up to him, but then we see him completely rebelling and not even considering listening to Michael's advice about injecting himself with the serum or not hurting people. He's oh I looked up to you my whole life. Um, I'm obsessed with you and I literally let you change my name into adulthood. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm not going to listen to him. Now I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little inconsistencies with Milo's character in general. I wish they had shown him wrestle with taking the serum and just a little scene where he is really downtrodden on not being able to do something before he breaks and then does that as a character change, you know, to step outside of listening to Morbius. Right. Yeah, that would have helped, I think. You've already touched on this just a little bit, but I want to kind of bring it up again. Milo dancing. Why wasn't that as big of a deal as She-Hulk twerking? That's a, I mean, that's a fair... Actually, the Michael... The Michael... Not Michael. The Milo dancing scene was that's, made... That's made, what I'm talking about. It, it was, yeah, it was made fun of a lot when it happened. I don't think it was controversial in the same way, so it's still a good yeah. point. It wasn't like, oh... This is like this shouldn't be happening. This is an embarrassment. I feel like it was more of like this is kind of goofy scene. Yeah, it was a critique. And, yeah, and less of like a critique on like how men and women should act. Yeah, it was more you of know? a critique on uh, the movie than a like a personal attack, which I feel like the the She Hulk thing was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It. I mean, I was watching. And I was like, all right, this is okay. <laughs> you know, but like, if he wants to, I mean. Have you ever danced at home alone? I mean, I have. A little bit. So, like, yeah. I mean, it's realistic. It's just. It's just kind of. 
Yeah, so, like, right. But <laughs> my main point of bringing it up more so is like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's fine. I, I get what they were going for. It's like the excitement of, I have the ability to dance. I can walk again. Like, I kind of wish yeah. we got a little bit more of that in the ship when um, Michael Morbius wakes up. Jared Leto, they kind of do, he looks in the reflection and they do the obligatory, like, shirtless, look how ripped I am now right. shot, which I wish there was more of an emphasis on, oh my God, I can walk again. Like, right. I'm strong, which you get a little bit later the excitement of the things he can do now mm-hmm. but i feel like just the ability to stand and walk would be huge for yeah appreciating the the seemingly little things yeah compared right? to what his abilities were yeah which he kind of just goes straight to appreciating like jumping on the rafters right so if we're if we i know we're going back and forth but i have another thing that i really like about the movie i feel All like right. it balances cool. this cool. let's See, go it balances I like it, it. so andrew being positive the I love the segment of the movie when he goes back to his lab after first getting his powers. I really like the the voice narration, especially because it's tied in with the fact that he's basically going through the scientific method with his own body and his own powers, which oh, as yeah, a researcher, yeah. a scientist, and a doctor, I thought that was a really cool element to add to the story because the narration is him recording the details in a, a voice recorder log, and his actions are a scientific test, you know, he's testing his echolocation. He's testing how he can jump and his enhanced strength. And he's testing if the, the bats feel uh, like they would hurt him. And then eventually the coolest thing to me is he's testing the length of time that the blood has an effect on him. Cause that seems like a true scientific test. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, he's the experimental group on himself and he's figuring things out. So I love that whole portion of the story. I like the way he uses the ball to, show his increased like reflexes and hand-eye coordination yeah and the way the shot where he steps into the the that tube back cage <laughs> yeah with all the bats that he was storing in his office which do those bats ever stop flying you know they have nowhere to rest he didn't give them exactly a bar it's just a glass tube kind of torture poor bats they would just be resting on the bottom on a pile of each other michael morbius tortured animals it's okay they were all cgi yeah so the he steps in no there. No bats were harmed in the making of the film. <laughs> he, he steps in there and he says, like, I feel a kinship or like a, a brotherhood with these creatures. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. The way he stands in the middle of them. The, it looked very visually entertaining and stunning. They start landing on him like, oh yeah. my gosh, I can stop flying. I thought that was great. And and yeah. when he locks himself in that, that bulletproof room, it seems like, is really interesting. When – so – Morbius locks himself in there to test how long the artificial blood will have an effect on him because he's noticing that the time span is decreasing how effective it is. And there's this cool shot where when Milo lets him out of that room, uh, you can see from inside the locked room a shot looking forward uh, of where blood is written in blood on the window and Morbius is standing outside the quote-unquote cage as Milo leaves. And I think this shot is... One of my, possibly my favorite in the movie, because I see it as kind of a metaphor for the things he's trapped in and escaping them. So the shot being inside of the cage is a metaphor for um, being trapped, and he's on the other side having escaped these things. So he's escaped his illness with his powers, but he's now trapped in this new curse of being a vampire. And he's also literally escaped that room because he was trapped in there dying, and Milo set him free. And then blood being written on the mirror is a symbol of what is now trapping him. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of this uh, theme throughout the movie of 
hit multiple times him being trapped and needing to escape. And whether it's trapped in a physical cage or the cage of his own life, uh, I think that shot is is cool. I think it's metaphorical. Yeah, that's a good interpretation of that shot. It's uh, a good question. Like, would would Michael rather be at his previous state with his blood disease or in his new Morbius state? I definitely think there are points in the movie where he feels both. Yeah. I think when he realizes that he's killed five or six people, whether they are mercenaries or not, to him, he thinks, I wish that I had never done this. You yeah. know? What do you yeah. think? I agree. I, I feel like if it was me, I'd be like, wow, look at all the things I can do now. However, the negative kind of outweighs those benefits in a way, you know, like yeah, the bloodlust. Yeah, before then, he obviously never killed anyone. And matter of fact, he was saving hundreds and thousands and millions of people with his research. And now he's doing the opposite of that through something that he can't 100% control and needs to live. So I feel like it's a pretty big curse, kind of either way, but more so being Morbius. And that's probably why he's considered a villain, right? Yeah, I mean, he is definitely at the very, at his very best, an antihero. Yeah. Um, the in in this movie, the only antihero thing he really does is stop the villain he created. Mm-hmm. But so the I think that scene that I was mentioning in the lab is very good as well because we get to see the representation of his echolocation, which I thought visually looked great. I mean, his eyes looked really cool. Yeah. The way he scanned the room, and then he throws the ball, bounces all across the room, and mm-hmm. he catches it with his eyes closed. I love stuff like that. I see that testing sequence in the lab as kind of like his training arc, which I love a good training arc. <laughs> I love when the character develops and gets stronger. Um, I think that there there's some great shots in this movie along with that, those two that I already mentioned. Um, there's a spiral shot, as they go down the tunnel into the subway and they're fighting, um, there's a shot that follows them as they go around the loop and it rotates around in that tunnel. And I think it looks really great. There's a shot where what we think is Morbius, but is actually Milo kills the nurse, uh, is showing down the hallway as the lights flicker down and down until it gets to dark. Why were they like that? I think that looks great. Why were they like? Why weren't all the lights just on? You know... Like- who who walking down that hallway is like, I'm not going to turn the lights on before I go down this hallway. I Like, that's scary enough without a vampire going around the city. The lights are also just flickering, which isn't a vampire power, but it does look really cool when you yeah. watch it. It looks cool just the way it sequen- the lights sequentially move back and forth. Yeah, but she, she like runs to the end of the hallway to turn on all the lights. Like, why didn't you already have them on before you went into the hallway? But, hey. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it looked scary. <laughs> she was she was opening up the hospital that morning. They closed it. They sent all the sick people home. They okay, closed, they closed okay, it down okay, for the okay. night. We'll, we'll <laughs> say that's what. <laughs> Even though there should be a a light switch in the beginning of the hallway, but whatever. Movie movies, you know. <laughs> you know, it's it's there's hey, if you're nitpicking this movie, you could go on for a bit, but it's right. it's just I'm a just good like movie, with just any a movie, good movie, yeah. Um, but that is the last of my thoughts on, on the shots and how I feel about the movie. I think we well, covered it pretty well. But before do you... we move on, you have one more thing. What do you think of the final scene? Yeah, so me personally, um, I like the emotional weight behind the whole scene. He's now – he Morbius thinks he's killed Dr. Bancroft. Um, they were once brothers, which is always you know steadfast place to go when you want emotional backdrop for a story. We see lots of places do this. But I think that the – the fight scene at the end doesn't hit hard for me. Uh, I don't 
love him calling in all the bats and just hitting Milo with the bats. I don't think it plays very well visually. I think it's kind of confusing and just the screen's all blurry and covered with bats. So the, I don't love the end fight scene, but I, I felt a lot stronger about the first half of the movie. I agree with you. I think at the end, all the bats kind of made everything blurry. You know, like you, you couldn't really see what was going on. And it was a little confusing on if Morbius is using the wind to push Milo back or if the bats are going and carrying him back or like kind of what's happening. But I don't think it necessarily took too much away from the story. You know, um, it just wasn't as visually pleasing as it could have been without all the bats there. I was glad that Dr. Bancroft came back to life after that happened because for whatever reason, I really like her character. Yeah. I, I think in the like, comics, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they are engaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the, in his origins, the, um, again, very in comics explanation, uh, that she was in a relationship with him when he went out onto the ship. And he tries to kind of save her from the danger and push her aside. Yeah. But she's like steadfast, like kind of like she's in the show. She's yeah. strong-willed and she's They're like... They're just not engaged in yeah. the show, right? No, yeah, yeah, they they, they kind of like each other. Yeah, they yeah they're by the end of it, they seem like they're gonna be together. I was upset when she died too. I was like, man, they just made him suck her blood, and now she's dead. I was she's like, they, I was like, they I was killed like, a lot of characters. That, that makes me upset. And I'm glad <laughs> she came back, but is she? She doesn't seem like she's gonna be herself. <laughs> you know, the, she's yeah. might be cursed as well now. Yeah. The dynamic with the um that doctor who was helping Milo, kind of like a father figure, was really interesting too. I thought mm. he. Did you know have a good performance and unfortunately he had to die man crazy but it was interesting the way that they milo felt like they were vying for his uh affection felt like himself and morbius were like in competition for the the doctor's love yeah but yeah. That, that was i think that scene was well written and well acted i mean we had good you know, emotional dialogue between the characters. It, to me, like we talked about, it kind of ends on a little bit of a low note with the fight scene. But overall, you know, an entertaining movie. It was... Yeah, I, I agree. Watched it again. I thought the movie was fine. It was good. You know, and like I said earlier, like maybe an average movie isn't a good movie nowadays, but what do you expect? Some like of the it, things you're going to yeah. put on are going to be average. But... Yeah. Our show, hopefully, is not average. Oh, if it's you're, definitely not average. <laughs> it's either below average or above average, but it's not average. We go to the extreme. <laughs> if you've listened this far, uh, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, please go ahead and give us a like, give us a follow, rate, and share with your friends. That would be great. Check us out on uh, any platform if you want to watch the videos. We do have our videos on Spotify and YouTube, and we are also on uh, Apple Podcast. So, We appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. And uh, please uh, continue to like and listen. Yeah. Make sure our show is not average. Uh, Give us a a review. Yeah, give us a review. That'd be great. Let us know. Hey, if we need to fix something, you hit us up. But um, now we're going to go into talking about kind of the extended universe that Morbius exists in, the Sony-verse for Marvel. And I'll pass the baton to Aaron. Yeah, this is what I was excited to talk about. Spider-Man is one of, if not my favorite superhero um he's just a lot of fun you know and and can we just stop making (laughs) spider-man villain movies without spider-man i mean (laughs) he has to be one of the most beloved superheroes of all time yeah and we keep making all these spider-man movies without spider-man like stop (laughs) we are here defending morbius a lot but also you could put spider-man into the movie yeah like there's no way it'd be worse how much yeah 
Exactly. How much better would this movie have been if he was in it? And I'm and like we can still have these Spider-Man villain movies be the main character of the movie. Mm-hmm. But like have Spider-Man be in there for 20, 30 minutes. And Morbius was in New York. So if you decide to put it in the same Sony universe with Andrew Garfield, reach out to Andrew Garfield and you know you've got happen, Spider-Man in the yeah. movie. Like the whole feud between Sony and Marvel, it's like I'm tired of it. I don't know about you, but like, man, can we just make a good Spider-Man movie and have all his villains be involved with him? Yeah, it does stink when uh, like kind of the business aspect of like studios and production get in the way of the creative aspect of the stories. Like because it it really hurt only hurts everyone involved, you know. Uh, Right. But I I get that they need to make money. I get that there would be no movies otherwise. Yeah, it, it. Doesn't it seem like it's like that with all corporations that the people at the top are very disconnected from like what people want and what actually functions, you know, like, man, they, they kind of did that with Spider-Man three, uh, the original kind of getting involved in kind of pushing more villains onto Rami and whatnot. And then they did the same exact thing with the amazing Spider-Man too. You know, I feel like I get that they want to sell toys, but if you make a good quality product, success will follow that. And I feel like at their level of success, they have to understand that. Yeah, they probably would have made a third one of The Amazing Spider-Man 3. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that there's so many other things that get in the way um, and make these directors and actors and writers' lives harder. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we still get enjoyable movies out of all this, so it's really kind of a, a first-world First world problem, first world complaint. It is. It is. um, But I want the writers, directors to have the freedom to tell the stories that they want to tell to the capacity that the comics did. Yeah, I mean, like an independent project, independent films are a great place to go to see freedom. But you just want to see that mesh together, that freedom with the budget of these blockbuster movies. Like that, that is would be ideal. Yeah. So the first part of this Sony verse that I want to kind of touch on is the end credit scene of Morbius. It kind of seemed like it was randomly placed into the movie, <laughs> didn't it? It felt out of place to me. I mean, I I got the feeling in the MCU that they were building up towards their own Sinister Six because they showed us Scorpion and they gave us Vulture. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were building, it seemed like, towards other characters like Mysterio. They brought in Mysterio. <clears throat> And then they kind of just transport one of their members into an alternate reality by sending Vulture into the Sony-verse. And it's it's just weird. Like, are they in the Sony-verse going for a Sinister Six there? Or are they going for some kind of Suicide Squad-esque team of antiheroes? Were they planning to put Vulture with Morbius and Venom and maybe build a team that way? I don't know what their intention is. Yeah, it, it seemed very unclear. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't follow. Like... Okay, so basically what happened, right, is the sky broke, kind of showing the multiverse like it did No Way Home. And then, um, shoot. Vulture. Vulture. Adrian Toomes. Yeah. Played by Michael Keaton. Appeared in this empty jail cell out of nowhere. What are the chances the jail cell is even empty? What are, (laughs) yeah, but but then they let him go. Why... Like it's wouldn't I mean, they have to like look into what happened here? I'm Who sure there guy? was a lot of time that went by from him appearing in this empty cell to him actually meeting with Morbius. There's probably a lot of time, but like 
they didn't make what happened in between clear at all because it it's they made it seem like he appeared in this jail cell and they let him go. Yeah, because Adrian Toomes in Spider Man Homecoming, I believe that wingsuit is built for him by someone else using the the technology. Yeah, that's another Chitauri. thing. He got his suit. Where did he get his suit from? Yeah, where did he pull it from? How did he make universe? it himself? Where, yeah, did he, did the suit also get transported just to like a nice storage container for him to go pick it up? Like, yeah, like it it just doesn't make sense. Like even in today, like let's say me and you broke into a jail or a prison and got into a jail cell. Don't you think we would like probably stay there for a little while until they figure out what's going on? Isn't like, there also the greater issue of like, is there an Adrian Toomes in that reality? Did they look, did they look like, does this guy have no proof of his existence in the world where they would be like, yeah, we should let you go. We should look into this. He doesn't seem to exist. Like, yeah. <laughs> we'll just, or like, did you steal this guy's identity? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it just seemed forced, you know, I, and I, I wonder if that was their original intent with it or if like some movie production stuff yeah behind the scenes stuff that we're not necessarily seeing like maybe changed it from what it originally was supposed to be they seem uh, so like bent on if it even if it's just for the trailer to be able to hint and and say in advance of the movie coming out that oh michael keaton's going to be in this movie get excited maybe more people will come see morbius but are you going to throw your universe out of whack for a little bit of building some hype it, yeah i don't i don't understand so who had the rights to vulture well, would it have been sony like did sony let marvel make homecoming with vulture and then was like hey we're gonna take him back now as, yeah. like was it marvel's choice to be like hey have this villain in your crappy verse i think there's a lot of back and forth that goes on and a lot of kind of litigious things that i don't understand but from my understanding sony has the movie rights to spider-man and his villains right so they own like i would think they own venom craven um they own morbius they own the movie rights to spider-man and they kind of have this deal that allows them to take a uh whatever percentage they take while spider-man exists in the mcu yeah i'm wondering what the conversation is was like they're gonna call up Marvel and be like, "Hey, so we're we're taking Fal- uh, Falcon, we're taking Vulture, and we're gonna bring him into Morbius." All right, cool, bye. I'm sure that they have to like discuss it with like Kevin Feige, and there's like permission involved. But that's the question: is do they have the overall say at the end of the day? Like, no, we're doing this, and like, yeah, because then they have a lot of power over the MCU because Spider-Man's a big part. Especially, I think he's gonna be going forward. So. We'll see how, I guess, it plays into things. It's always a danger. Like, I feel like it's kind of walking on eggshells at all times. Like, is Sony going to mess up the MCU, like, out right. of nowhere? And I feel like that was part of the the negative tone going towards this movie just to begin with. Like, before anyone even saw it. It's like, oh, it's Sony. Like, And also kind of like the attitude of, like, why do we need a Morbius movie? Who is yeah. beckoning for... Because we talked about how Morbius maybe isn't viewed as or isn't as financially successful by, uh, you know, a little bit from other movies like Venom. And I'll, I'll let you talk right. about those figures. So Venom, like we already talked about, had a budget of $110 million. Um, That's both the first one and the second one. The first one brought in $856 million, and the second one brought in $507 million. $856, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a very successful movie. Right. But I... <laughs> Oh, See, I, I looked at both of them kind of through the lens of like, 
why do we need a movie about just the villain? And I look at Joker through the same lens and all these other movies that do this, but I mean, Venom's going to be a lot more successful because a lot more people know are aware of that property. He's already been in Spider-Man 3. He's a lot more prominent in comics, I believe, and more prominent animated things. So Venom has a bigger natural fan base. Yeah, like people even people who Morbius don't read was. the comics have probably heard of Venom. Yeah, but people are like, who is Morbius? What is Yeah, what is I Morbius? didn't know who Morbius was until the first trailer came out. I, I mean, I only knew him from that one yeah. animated series. So yeah, definitely... I am curious why they're drawing on these movies, especially like if Morbius wasn't that financially successful, what are they thinking heading into new projects like Craven the Hunter? Which, if you don't know, Craven the Hunter is uh, a, another Spider-Man villain who is getting a solo movie where the he'll be played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. It'll be another superhero role for him because he's been now Kick-Ass and he's been Quicksilver. So. He'll be playing this character that is uh, uh, enhanced human who was once one of the world's greatest hunters, one of the greatest big game hunters. So he is no, predominantly known for the thrill of the hunt. And his villain seeks out Spider-Man because he wants to hunt, uh, per se, the most dangerous game. Because Spider-Man is so uh, skilled and he, he wants the accomplishment of mounting Spider-Man's head on his wall, kind of. So this is an interesting character, but to me, he's a Spider-Man villain which should be in a Spider-Man movie, and they continue to make these solo projects for whatever reason of the villains. I don't know what, if they're building towards something or if they just see it as a chance to make money and sell toys or if they're truly passionate about these characters. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it kind of dilutes the villain in a sense where like, if we ever did see it in a Spider-Man movie, we'd have this first taste of him without Spider-Man. And like if like this movie, Morbius, didn't do good in the box office. No. Right. So like if we see Morbius is going to be in the next Marvel movie with Spider-Man, how's everyone's opinion going to be about it? And they're not, you know, like they might not be that excited about it because they watched this movie and they didn't enjoy it or whatever, you know, or they didn't watch it because they heard about all the bad things. And they're not being done as like true unapologetic villains. So how are we supposed to feel if they step into a Spider-Man movie as a villain now, when they've been portrayed as an anti-hero, why are they conflicting with Spider-Man as a, it's kind of going to be, I feel like a half-hearted antagonist to the movies. So. Yeah. I feel like that goes back to one of the biggest complaints of these kind of movies is like the money grab that Sony's after, which I feel like they could make so much money if they just made a, more deals with Marvel, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and made an actual Spider-Man movie. But there, there is some rumors that Andrew Garfield is going to come back. Yeah, I, I would love to see Andrew Garfield come back. I mean, I have put a lot of thought into this, and he may be my favorite Spider-Man. I, I really love his uh, charisma, his the way he plays the character in the suit. He's incredibly funny and interesting, and his quips are really land. Mm -hmm. And I just think that Andrew Garfield's also an incredible actor, and he seems like just a great human. So yeah. I want that success for him and I want him back in the role. Um, would you be excited to see him come back for Tasm 3? Yeah, I would. I I think The Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, is one of my favorite live-action Spider-Mans. It's really great. I mean, stylistically, I really it looks good. enjoyed that movie. And I mean, I remember liking it when I first saw it, but then before this last Spider-Man movie came out, was it Far From Home? Yeah. Uh, no Way Home. No Way Home too many homes but 
before No Way Home came out, I watched all the Spider-Mans again, you know, and I really enjoyed the first Amazing Spider-Man. And I don't know, I thought it was very cinematic, but then I thought it was very true to the character of him flying through New York and, like you said, being kind of this witty Spider-Man that has all these one-liners and talking a bunch while he's fighting and stuff. Like, that's kind of how Spider-Man feels like he should be, you know, based off of the TV shows that I grew up with and even the, the video games that I grew up playing. Yeah, I like him the most in the suit, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, him in the Spider-Man suit is really cool and the amazing Spider-Man. Um, I think that kind of wraps up everything we really wanted to talk about Morbius and the Sony-verse. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say? No, I'm done hating on the Sony-verse. I will say nothing more. Thank God. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching Backseat Directing. Uh, we had a fun show today, and we have a lot more coming out, so make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast channels on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you'd like to hear more of what we got to say. Yeah, like, follow, subscribe, and share with your friends. And that's a wrap. All right.